Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Findings, the show that makes sure you have your ear to the ground on all things fintech, from banking, lending, and regulations to payments and platforms. Each episode features prominent guests from the industry discussing the challenges and opportunities we face in finance today. My name is Tom Pope. I'm the head of payments and platforms here at Tink, um, and I am joined by a very special guest, uh, one of our most knowledgeable, if not our most knowledgeable person about payments, Andrew Boyajin. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself, Andrew. Where, what have, where, where have you been and where have you come from? Perfect. Uh, so I'm actually American, so I'm coming from uh, well across the pond, but uh, I'm here at Tink then to lead some of our thinking and work on variable recurring payments. Uh, prior to that, spent some time at a very large bank, uh, JP Morgan in the US, looking at some of their payment platform work, and then at fintechs beyond that. So some of them uh, you may have heard of, I guess. Uh, Google is, is probably the most famous one, but they're not so Kickstarter. Thanks, dude, indeed. So um, welcome, everybody. We, uh, obviously, Andrew and I are not professional podcast hosts, but we are going to do our best. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet? No, you never know. This could be the start of a glorious career. Oh, I think so. <laughs> okay, so... Um, this topic today is on VRP, variable recurring payments, possibly one of the uh, most talked about innovations in open banking of the last few years, and uh, potentially something that some would argue is overhyped. Is that fair, Andrew? Mm, what a good question. So I think that aspects of it are overhyped, uh, potentially the timelines. So a lot of people say, oh, VRP, it's going to be the number one payment method tomorrow. Uh, no, I don't think that that's true. I think that there's a huge, huge amount of potential with BRP, but we need to work as an industry to actually get there. Yeah, I think that's a very fair answer. And I suppose we should probably start as well with a few sort of basics. So you talked about timelines and things like that. Now, there's obviously a difference between sweeping and commercial BRP, but just give everybody a one minute overview of the the key terms and the key things in the world of VRP. Got it. So VRP, there are two general types. So we'll talk about sweeping and then we'll also talk about commercial. Uh, sweeping VRP was mandated by the Competition Market Authority here in the UK. And the deadline for that has actually passed. But the CMA defined nine banks that they wanted to build out sweeping as a way for consumers to avoid overdraft and financial penalty. Six of those banks have currently published their APIs. Uh, we're waiting on three more. And what the regulation then said is banks are free to move beyond those use cases, uh, but they don't have to. So banks, again, were required to build out sweeping, which is a me-to-me -me transaction. So from a current account to another current account or to a savings account or a credit card account. Anything beyond that is up to the discretion of the bank. So we've now been looking at banks in the UK to see how can they move beyond sweeping use cases to really think about commercial opportunities and build out then APIs to enable them. Yeah, I think maybe, I mean, perhaps this is where some of the hype has come from, right? Because I think there's been perhaps a misunderstanding in the industry. People have gone, oh, there's, there's this thing called VLP. VLP is coming and it's going to be available once the banks have made it available. And then, hey, presto. We have a universal payment method, which is going to be perfect for all use cases. I, I think, think that's exactly right. right? Yeah. So there is a nuance between sweeping and commercial, and then not all banks need to do this. So mm. it very much is a conversation about how banks can approach this, how it fits within their investment planning, and if it even makes sense for them. Yeah. So I think the, the core use case for sweeping, and I guess the reason why regulators 
I'll move so quickly on it is of course you know it's it's about saving consumers from overdraft fees and you know improving that consumer experience um, between accounts um, and I guess links back to some of the original objectives of open banking which is to kind of make finance easier for people make it easier to switch make it more competitive and things like that now when it comes on to commercial VRP I agree with you there's an enormous amount of potential here but almost too much potential right like it, there's just so much you could do with this technology how do you think about the steps and where the sort of the most initial value will be in something like this yeah so i think you can think back for for anyone who's a product manager listening you're probably used to that illustration about how to build a car and you don't start with a car you might begin with let's say a skateboard and then slowly add on bits and pieces until you get to a proper car VRP uh, is the same concept. So what's the first and easiest way to actually push VRP into the market? So thinking about things like risk tolerance, uh, amount of cost in order to get mm-hmm. something set up. What's, uh, and I hate this term, but what's that lowest hanging fruit that you can actually grab and do something with? So from our perspective, uh, it, it really is looking at what's ripe for disruption. And how can we look at something that makes sense to banks, introduce maybe some new commercial models or revenue streams to them in payment flows where they haven't had that? And I think a great example there is actually looking at direct debit book payments. Mm, I agree. I agree. I feel like there's there are lots of payments out there, and sometimes we forget that obviously you know, certain payment journeys are a lot more painful than others. Mm-hmm. And certainly in the UK, there's an awful lot of pain in bill payments and direct debit payments. Do you want to... Give us a bit of a flavor of what those pain points are from your point of view. Of course. So I've actually been fortunate and all my bills are in my <laughs> partner's name. So I've had a very easy journey. But looking at it, direct debit can be a challenge on both sides, both to, let's say, subscribers, so people who are consuming a service, and then the billers. Uh, from a subscriber point of view, there's a lot of manual entry. I uh, need to get your account number right, your sort code right, mm-hmm. as well as your name. Uh, and it's then, quite ugly too. I mean, just is it ugly? I've not seen. Yeah, no, it's not the most pleasant user experience. Oh, that's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So UX designers out there. <laughs> um, and then beyond that as well, there is a, a lot of manual processes too. So there's a lot of actual paperwork that comes from your bank to support direct debits, particularly if you have disputes and things like that. So it's a bit cumbersome. I mean, mm. I check my mail maybe once every two days, three mm. days or so. Uh, so it's not not the best. And then on the biller side, uh, it's actually worse. Mm. So with billers, you need to wait two or three days for funds to settle or to know the status of the payment. And by that point, you know, your subscriber may have already moved on. They may be uh, encountering other issues or they may have gone on with their lives and forgotten about this actual payment. And as well, it can be expensive. So we mm. often think direct debit, oh, that's, that's super cheap. Mm. But the effective cost, so all in, thinking about those error payments, how to handle them, how to move to collections if need be, that all adds to costs. And if you zoom out and look at that, it's it's quite sizable. Hmm. And that's why I think I find so exciting about this as a particular opportunity for BRP is that there are cl- such clear pain points from all three participants. There's pain points for the biller, there's pain points for the bank, and there's pain points for the consumer. Everybody has something to gain from a change here which I don't think is actually necessarily the case in every single sort of payment. And this maybe comes back to my kind of slightly provocative hype question, right? Which is, you know, some sorts of payments work really, really well for those three people or for two of them, it works, you know, really well. And for one of them, it doesn't work very well. What's quite exciting about this is it just, this is a pain point for everybody. And there's a technology which perfectly solves that pain point. 
Is that fair? Would you say? I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you can you can look a little bit further, and sometimes direct debit works exceptionally well, mm -hmm. but it's an outdated technology. Yeah. So. At um, British, I was what, 68 or so, I think Bax was introduced. Oh. Um, ooh, trick question. Francie King, Francie We beat the US. The US was in the 70s. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's when this technology was first introduced. So, you know, it's been a while, and there's yeah. probably a better way to handle things. And how do we capitalize on the technology that we've introduced in the meantime, like faster payment service? And how do we push payments then to just better tech stacks for more efficiency, more cost savings, and to your broader point, just mm. a better experience? Yeah. Okay. I think. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously sold, but hopefully, I mean, I think that I think that kind of core direct debit replacement use case is a great one. Um, what else would you say? Are we going to talk about commerce, or do we think there's certain sorts of commerce? Like, what's your what's your view on that? Oh, so my view on commerce is. Um, I don't think it's controversial, but there's obviously great potential. But one of the things that open banking doesn't have necessarily is uh, an inherent scheme to it that really mm -hmm. looks after the interests of all participants. Mm -hmm. uh, there are, of course, protections that bound for consumers as well as for merchants within law. But uh, I've not had the occasion to go to court, but I imagine it's also a pretty ugly experience. <laughs> yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> so one of the things that I think is needed probably for commerce is a better way than within open banking to view disputes uh, so that there's something similar to when you have a chargeback with a card. Mm. Maybe not an exact copy of that model, but mm. just a more streamlined way for all participants to inquire about a transaction, get information that's needed to really help them, those end users, the merchant and the account holder in any type of a query or dispute. Mm. So at a base, I think that's needed for broad commerce adoption. Mm. Uh, the good news is that I think a lot of merchants have probably already put some thinking towards that. So some of the largest e-commerce merchants then have dispute resolution centers already built out and they've built then a really mm. cool overlay service over their payment models uh, to facilitate those interactions and those transactions. So I, I think some merchants in commerce are primed and might be ready to go for this, but the broader adoption is most likely going to be a bit slower as the industry thinks about those disputes. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, merchants as a general rule, normally do everything in their power to avoid having to go down a kind of a, a scheme-led arbitration type route, right? Like you mean the yeah. smartest or and the best. Score. Or a claim score, <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, no, that's good. But I guess the, the obvious uh, counter to that would be what is so special about econ payments that you think need this framework, but not these bill of direct debit payments? Oh, so heaps of things. If you think about e-commerce, you know, you're, you're shopping without being present. So mm. you've never touched the good. You don't leave the store with it in a bag and hop on the tube. Uh, so there's a lot of risk in terms of, is it going to be delivered? Is it going to be delivered on time? Uh, is it the right size, the right color? Uh, all of those things now factor in because this is a non-present scenario. Mm. Uh, so much of e-commerce is like that, that uh, th there should be then a mechanism to, to really try to make sure that everyone is doing their best faith effort to deliver those services. Mm. And uh, I think that merchants will respond to that. Mm. And of course, account holders on the bank side are going to appreciate that those protections are there as well. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and I guess, yeah, you're also fundamentally 
in e-com settings, you are making a payment and then you are receiving your goods or your service, hopefully receiving your goods or your service. Whereas in a direct debit type use case, you're very typically paying for something that's already happened, the reverse, right? So your risk as a consumer is is much, much lower. Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. What about, um, I mean, I guess VRPs are recurring. There are lots of other recurring, I mean, we've got direct debit type flows. I mean, in the UK, for the UK audience, direct debit is obviously dominant for for bill payments. Mm Um, but if you're going to have a subscription for an online video service, typically that's not direct debit. That's on card rails. Uh, I guess two questions. One, why? <laughs> why do I not pay for my Netflix with direct debit? And two, is that also an opportunity for VRP, do you think? So why wouldn't you pay for direct debit? I think a lot goes back to user experience mm-hmm. and then the success rate of direct debits. Uh, so thinking back to when I was at Google, I was looking at Google's AdWords products. And with AdWords, you could set something up on direct debit and immediately begin imprinting ads, uh, rack up a bill, and then all of a sudden you don't have the funds to pay for it yep. or the bank account that you provided wasn't actually yours. So there's some risk there with direct debit and the card networks have actually built out protections for that. So the idea of authorization uh, prior to settlement, mm. things like that. So that's that's one area. Another is just general user experience. Mm. I mean, you're used to your cards. Mm. It's a pretty slick, well, sometimes it's a slick experience to enter, uh, but there's also been iterations on that. So the ability to tokenize your card and have it update mm. and then transport tokens, let's say. Mm. Uh, all of that creates a, an easier experience than direct debit for some subscription builders. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not always the best. So your card can still expire. Uh, the credentials could still not be yours. Uh, there's still sort of some risks there in VRP addresses. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing I hear a lot when I talk to, to merchants with card on file volume is insufficient funds declines. So huge issue. Huge issue, right? And I can imagine if I was a if I had a subscription business, um, you know, in selling socks online or something, and then I had this consumer who was buying these socks every month and then after six months suddenly they left me and I looked at the data and I realized they left because they stopped buying just because they had a decline for insufficient funds and they hadn't bothered coming back that would drive me nuts as a retailer of course right once I've acquired that customer I want to keep that customer especially if they're a happy customer in every other way um, well, especially in some of the subscription models you know you brought up socks as an example yeah. uh you're probably already so actually by the way a rubbish example who buys subscription socks i'm I sure know. there's a market do you think I just, probably. okay i'm off i'm going to sell you business now. <laughs> 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 Sorry, <carry on. laughs> um but, but just think about it someone actually had to probably make the socks right and ship yep. them you need to warehouse them etc so there are already all these costs that mm-hmm. have been accrued then by the Sock seller? <laughs> yeah. Sock, Sock seller? So there are all these costs that have already been accrued. And the last thing they want, of course, is for that subscriber to fall out because yeah. of insufficient funds. And then yeah. they're just stuck with these mm. size 42 socks or whatever. Mm. And, you know, and I've heard, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've heard numbers that, you know, I've heard kind of four, five, six, seven percent of all payment um, of sort of t- t- decline rate so of 100 payments four five six seven might be declined because of insufficient funds that's, that's an sense. alarming <laughs> that's an alarming kind of thing and if you know, solve that problem and it's an immediate you know top and i guess bottom line boost to someone's revenue absolutely yeah so could vrp actually move into to that vertical i think you know the answer there is yes uh obviously so 
it, it can be viewed as a bank account on file instead of mm. a card on file. Mm. And you know, if merchants are clever in how they set up some of the parameters, so the max amount that can be charged, for example, or in this case, the max amount that can move from an account to the merchant's account, uh, it can be very seamless to, mm. to set up. The other cool thing uh, came up the other day, actually, with VRP, is that with direct debit, there needs to be a bit of a three-day, I think, hold prior mm. to any amounts being changed. Yep. Uh, with VRP, that, that's not there. So in your example with stocks, going back to it, because if we if we know one thing, it's stocks, right? <laughs> um, you have the ability, let's say, to add a new pair of stocks to your subscription. Yep. Uh, and you can do that right up to the very last second. Whereas with some type of payment methods, like direct debit, you actually can. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, I love this. I think we're at Tinker working on this, right? I love this kind of concept of, using the account data side of open banking to you know, monitor someone's balance. So obviously everything's done with the user's consent, but you could imagine a flow where monitoring your balance, when the balance is there, take the payment. You as a consumer win because you're getting your socks. As a merchant, you win because you're avoiding those insufficient declines. It's just a much nicer payment experience for everybody. Yeah, I think it's broken. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get your socks. So I like it. <laughs> no, everyone always needs more socks. Um, so, okay, so we've covered a lot there. I think just kind of where we've been so far. So we talked a bit about the introduction to different sorts of VLP. That was very helpful. Um, talked about three main, I'm going to categorize them as three main different use cases there, right? So what mm-hmm. I'm hearing is that kind of direct debit, bill of volume, really obvious near-term use case. Um, I'm hearing... So recurring card on file type payments, there could be a use case there, and we're quite excited about that. We're not so sure on e-com retail right now because of that wider scheme question. Is that a fair? Yeah, yeah. I want to be, you know, I'm going to say I'm a bit bullish on it because but, I do think some of those larger e-commerce providers will see benefit in this. So maybe we start with the big guys. Maybe this is like a... I mean, I would love to see that. It's yeah. Really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely can imagine, yeah, these larger econ websites with fantastic kind of buyer protection programs for this being an obvious play. And I guess there's oh, there's plenty of people that wouldn't fall into those first two categories that are on the fringes of what you might call retail, right? Like kind of what the wallet type operators where this would also be fantastic. Um, but yeah, digress, digress. Okay, so we've talked about three different use cases, um, which is good. What do you think, then, is our likely timeline, Andrew? I'm going to pin you down. You said at the beginning that this was something that was overhyped, so you, you're not allowed to overhype this for our listeners. You must be, you must be honest. I will try my best, <laughs> to, to be honest. Charlie and George Washington, I will tell a lie. Uh, what is our timeline for it? So we are working away on it right now, actually. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so we're hopeful then <laughs> to, to get something into production and out of, say, our staging or our testing environments uh, towards the end of Q1 this year. So uh, we are in the process of building connectivity then to NatWest, which is the bank currently offering commercial BRP in the UK. And then from that, we're working across other banks as well to help mm-hmm. them discover what is commercial BRP, how can they leverage the infrastructure that they built for sweeping BRP and use that then to power commercial BRP, what yeah. are some of those commercial models, as well as conversations around disputes so mm-hmm. that we can prepare for sort of more of those e-commerce scenarios. Yeah. So, yeah, so, of course, so we've got more banks live than sweeping, but for this com- for these commercial use cases, we're kind of, it sounds like NatWest is the, the leading bank and then we have... Uh, Sort of what kind of timelines are we looking at on the rest, do you think? Uh, well, I'd like to say that 
probably at least two to three will be moving on commercial therapy this year. Nice. Um, so that's the interest level that we're seeing. Mm. Uh, as we all know, banks can move a little bit slow. There are certain investment planning processes that need to be followed. Uh, but we're, we're hopeful that in the next six to 12 months, we'll see some more movement. Yeah. And I guess, of course, right, like, I mean, NatWest is a, obviously a very, I should probably know these stats, but I would imagine at least a quarter of volumes for kind of a lot of these transaction types are going down on NatWest routes. I mean, you could have a merchant very easily go live with an experience of their NatWest customers, which is maybe slightly different to the experience from mm -hmm. their non-NatWest customers, right? So you could say, hey, select your bank. Oh, you've selected NatWest. Here's one flow. Okay, you've selected Barclays. Here's a different flow. And Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And as a NatWest account holder, I'm super excited, actually. <laughs> so when you came to the UK, you just by accident picked the bank that was most forward-leaning on BLP. There was a little bit of research there. <laughs> okay, good. Very good. All right. Um, well, I think that is probably all we have time for today. Is there anything else on the topic of VLP that you think we should have covered that I have not asked you? Dare we say stay tuned for an episode on dynamic recurring payments? Ah, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, we have covered an exclusively UK-focused topic, of course, today. I should, as a, a good host would have said that at the beginning, but as a non-professional, I didn't. We have covered, uh, yeah, U VRP is a UK-Pacific uh, concept right now. Tell us a little bit, though. Just give us a few minutes. What's the flavor on SPAR and DRP in Europe? Fantastic. So, uh the idea of open banking and what it can power is, is not just in the UK. It's actually everywhere in the world. So there's a lot of interest in moving beyond single payments and thinking about this concept of recurring payments. Uh, one example of that is the SEPA payment account access scheme uh, over in SEPA, I guess, for this podcast, we'll just call it the EU. It's easier that way. <laughs> so the EU is then looking at this thing called SPA as a way then to implement what they're calling dynamic recurring payments, uh, very, very similar to variable recurring payments here in, in the UK. Uh, some great movements. Rulebook has been published. Right now, uh, the scheme is looking at how they set some fees for participants. Uh, so these would be fees then that banks would actually see and collect. Uh, so they're taking a lot of the work that we have to do in the UK here at Hawk. They're taking that on and providing that structure for it. And then all around the world, I think we see interest in this. Mm. So, you know, we see it in the Nordics uh, that might sit outside of SEPA. We see it then beginning in other markets in North America as well as in Latin. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I think the it sounds like, you know, the, from kind of looking through things like the SPA rulebook, that actually it might even go slightly further than BRP in terms of the functionality. Oh, absolutely. Have you read the rulebook? Yeah. I actually have. Oh, great. <laughs> Is there anything beyond then BRP that you find exciting? Oh, look at this. I know, <laughs> we're changing. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I think some of the exciting things are just some extensions to some of the payments functionality, right? So kind of when different you know, scheduling future dated payments, splitting payments. That to me is the most exciting one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe again, maybe fodder for another episode. But yeah, that multiple counterparty. Is yeah. Really cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sounds like we've uh, talked ourselves into another episode. I think we have. Yeah. Good. Well, um, we'll leave it there. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for uh, for kind of uh, I was going to say dialing in, but it's, uh, it's a podcast for listening in for um, <laughs> listening yeah, in. To, yeah, yes. Uh, for, for for listening in for this episode of fintech findings. Um, hopefully you found that engaging. I uh, hope you found that interesting. Um, and uh, I guess, of course, always reach out if you uh, if you want to kind of yeah dispute or argue or think something that we said wasn't quite right. You're probably right. Reach out and let's have that. Let's have that discussion. <laughs> um, but thanks so much for your time and uh, see you soon.
Bye. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of Fintech Findings. Thank you all for tuning in. Join us again next time to find out more about the developments in the fintech space. If you want to be notified about upcoming episodes, follow us on LinkedIn.